The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. He says, listening and doing. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is the word of the Lord. We are starting a new sermon series on the book of James. And James is my favorite book of the Bible, especially when it comes to trying to understand who God is, what God's doing, and what we're supposed to do, especially as Christians. What does the day-to-day grind look like in the life of the church, in the life of a Christian? But there is a little bit of understanding in the book of James uh, from a historical context that I want to start off with. Because the book of James was almost banned from the Protestant church. So jumping back in the Wayback Machine, 500 years ago, this guy, Martin Luther, was a monk. And he was trying to figure out a way how he could make God happy with him. And so he did everything he possibly could. He joined the monastery. He would do all the servant things. He would actually beat himself as a way to apologize for the sins that he had gotten before God. Because at that point, the Catholic Church was teaching that if you didn't do certain things, if you didn't give a certain amount of money, if you didn't repent a certain way of saying so many Hail Marys or going to the church every single day, then God really wouldn't love you. This came to a head in something called indulgences, where literally what would happen was pastors would come around, priests would come around, they'd say, hey, if you don't think you're good enough before God, you're correct, and I have a solution for you. For just five easy payments of literally is what they would do. They would do, sell these things called indulgences, and it would get you out of purgatory. Or if you had already paid your dues, you could go and you could pay for someone else. Right? And so this idea was that we had to reach up to God before God would accept us, before he would love us. And Luther is doing all these things. He's in the monastery, but no matter what he does, it's not enough. No matter what he does, his conscience is not okay. And so in that moment, another monk tells him, hey, I think you should spend some time in the Psalms, and I think you should spend some time in Romans, because that'll show you a different picture of God. And as he's reading through the Psalms, as he's reading through Romans, what he finds are two facts. One, that none of us are good enough for God. Romans 3 says that for all fall short and have fallen short of the glorious standard that God has set. So none of us are good enough. But then, in Romans 5, it says, But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He rescued us. He redeemed us. And this opens Martin Luther's eyes to, Huh, I don't have to reach up to God. God already came down. He's already forgiven me. He's already rescued me. And then he makes his entire ministry about letting people know, pushing back against the notion that we have to work up for God. And Luther becomes a hammer. 
And he goes around and literally, if you can just imagine a mallet, anytime another pastor, anytime another denomination would come up and say, no, you have to do more to make God love you, he would come down on it, right? And so he's just literally going around pounding all over the place, which is great. But the problem is, when you're a hammer, everything becomes a nail, right? And so while, for sure, we are rescued and redeemed by Christ and Christ alone, after we are rescued, after we are redeemed, the question is, so what do we do now? And that's where the book of James comes in. And so the book of James doesn't really talk about the grace of God in the before you're saved. It talks more about what you do after you're saved, what you do as a Christian. And it really ruffled Martin Luther's feathers to the point where he literally tried to ban the book of James from the Bible, and he called it the epistle of straw. He did not like it because it didn't focus enough on saved by grace and faith alone. In fact, in chapter 2, he starts putting faith and works together, and it really confused Martin Luther. And so Luther's response is pretty easy. He's like, well, we'll just get rid of the book. Right? Now, thankfully, there were other leaders in the church that were like, you know, we're not going to do that. We're not really comfortable with, like, cutting out books of the Bible that we don't particularly like. And so we still have the book of James, and I am thankful for the book of James. Because the book of James adds into the life of the Christian a way to understand, what do we do today? What do we do to connect to God? What do we do to connect to others? And in that, as I was thinking about a way to really describe what it looks like, is if you've ever seen a really intense physical trainer, right? So you either go to the gym, maybe they'd run a clamp gladiator, or they're the people on TV, and they've got this big smile on their face right? But they're literally just beating the crap out of your body while they do it, right? And they're doing it because they love you, right? But it's also this really intense, really gut check of like, oof, right? That's what the book of James is. We literally start off, and he starts off with this introduction, and then he just jumps right into, let's get into the nitty-gritty. Let's talk about real life. And so that's what James does for the Christian, and that's how we're going to be looking at it this month. We have five chapters in James, we've got five Sundays in June, and we're going to spend each week literally going through every verse and looking at the main thoughts of each chapter, reading it and letting it form us, letting it shape us, right? But to start, though, we get in uh, verse 1 and 2, and it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, right? This is the smiley face physical uh, trainer, right? He starts off and he says, James, a servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that this is actually James, the brother of Jesus, right? Which, for me personally, I think is one of the hardest jobs there is, right, as far as being a sibling. Because I don't know if you guys have sibling rivalry in your family, but imagine having Jesus as your older brother, no matter what you do, you will never live up to that standard, right? Like, I'm sorry, Mom, that I forgot how to take out the trash. I'm not the son of God. That was what James, little brother, had to deal with, right? And yet he grew up with Jesus. He knew Jesus. We know in the Gospels that there actually was tension in the family where at one point they thought Jesus was making too much noise in the family, and so they went to try to, like, convince him, hey, maybe you don't need to do it this way. But eventually, he sees Jesus come back to life again. He realizes who Jesus is as Messiah, as Redeemer. And in that moment, he's like, yeah, I'm all in. And he becomes a pillar of the church, and he writes to the 12 tribes. That shorthands for the Christians anywhere, including the Christians at Acts 
church Leander, right? And so we get to understand that it's both the brother of James and it's written to the entire church. Unlike, let's say, Romans, which is written to the church in Rome, or Galatians, which is written to the church in Galatia, or Corinthians, which is written to the church in Corinth. And when Paul would write those epistles, and he's writing to these churches, he was dealing with specific issues that were happening, right? So in the church in Rome, the issue that they were dealing with was, do we work our way to heaven, or does God already love us? Which was very similar to the situation Martin Luther was facing 500 years ago. And so those parallel things connected. It's like, yes, we are saved by grace and grace alone. Amen. But for James, he's not writing to just one church and their specific issues. He's writing to the entire church. And he's trying to help them understand this is how we live out our faith. This is what discipleship looks like. This is what God is after post you start to believe in who this Jesus guy is. All right? So that's the book of James. And then again, like that physical trainer who smiles at you and then punches you in the gut, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it a pure joy when all kinds of hard stuff comes your way. Right? That is not normally what you would think of, right? When the trials come, when the tribulations come, when the pink slip comes, when the debts are starting to rise up, when there's tension in the family, when that trial and tribulation, James says, consider it a pure joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, right? Perseverance, it produces stamina, it produces strength. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave blown on the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and is unstable in all that they do. What we're going to see in chapter 1 is this contrast that James starts to create between following God and following our own path, right? And he starts it by framing, hey, these trials, these tribulations, these persecutions, God is going to use them to shape and to mold you. He's literally going to use them to prepare us for what comes next. Because in the same way, like if you were working out, if you were exercising, and you run a half a mile, at the time you're done, you're panting and you're huffing, well, the next day, running a half a mile is going to be a little bit easier, and the day after that, you might actually be able to run a mile, or two miles, or three miles. That perseverance makes us stronger. And that's what God is trying to do. And so he says, I'm going to use these trials to make you stronger, I'm not going to waste any of the hardship in your life. I actually have a plan for it. And he says, you're not going to be in those trials by yourself. He says, if you have questions, if you have doubts, if you want my wisdom, if you want my insight, I am here for you. You don't have to go it alone. And he's going to frame the rest of this chapter in this idea of trials, persecutions, hardships, and how God is going to use those things to draw us closer to him and to draw us closer to who he wants us to be. He goes on, and he says, Believers in humble circumstances are to take pride in their high position, 
But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers with the plant. It blossoms and falls, and its beauty is destroyed. Again, this is countercultural because we would normally think if you're rich, that's what we celebrate in society. We'll put you on social media, you'll get all kinds of followers. And it's the poor that we really despise. But in James's view, in the Christian view, he says, hey, if you know you need God, if you can't depend on your wealth or your power or your privilege, you get access to the Father. You get access to life. That becomes your foundation, and that foundation will withstand whatever comes next. Because the foundation of the world, whether it's money, whether it's how many people like you, whether it's fame, says that's all going to pass away. Because in the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And yet, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And it's here where we start to see the end goal that James has in mind. You see, God wants to give us the crown of life. He's echoing his brother Jesus in the Gospels, where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. But you see, Jesus compared that with the first verse that says, the thief comes to only kill, steal, and destroy. Right? Again, there's two lanes. One side is literally going to end up stealing your life, while the other one is trying to give you life. In life abundantly, life with peace and with patience and with kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the things that God is after in the life of his followers, right? And so again, throughout this chapter, you see this comparing and this contrasting and this promise that that crown of life is worth striving for. That yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, it is going to leave us tired. Yes, there are going to be times of doubt in times of fear. And yet, even through that, our God is working towards something bigger. Right? James goes on. He says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to death. This might be one of the most insightful passages into how sin works in our lives, especially as Christians. Because right? there is this false belief that as Christians, you either are with Jesus and don't sin anymore, or you sin so you've been separated from God. Like, those are the two lanes. Those are not the only two lanes in the church. Every single person in this room, including the pastor on the stage, is still a sinner. We're still wrestling. We're still broken. There are still evil desires that are battling within us, and they lead us to sin, right? But what ends up happening in James here is he says, this is how it works. There's something inside of us that rebels, and that rebellion leads to action that we would call sin. And that sin numbs us. And if we allow that sin to grow, it never just stops. It is a progressive, degenerative disease inside of us. And if we don't repent, if we allow it to, you know what, yeah, I'm still wrestling with lust, or I'm still wrestling with my pride, or I'm still wrestling with how I treat my family, or whatever else, but you know what, I'm just going to let that slip for a while. 
It doesn't just hold its ground. It takes more and more and more ground. And it leaves us numb, and eventually it leads to death. And the saddest part is the death comes because we just stop caring. We just start saying, you know what? I'm sick and tired of feeling guilty about this. So I'm just going to walk away. Because what we see in Scripture is that the only thing that can keep us separated from God is us saying, you know what? I don't want any part of you anymore. The question isn't whether or not we still are wrestling with sin. All of us do that. The problem is when we say, you know what? I just don't care. Apathy literally kills us literally separates us from what God's doing if we let sin run its full course. When it's fully grown, gives birth to death. And James is writing to the church and he's saying, we have a God of life. We have a God of beauty. We have a God of strength. And he doesn't want you to be separated from the only source of life. Right? There's two lanes. There's two paths. There's two ways we can go. He says, don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. Again, these two languages, life and death. Connection to God brings all the beauty, all the light, fruit. But left to our own choices reveling in our own sins, staying in that spot, eventually it numbs us and we end up dead. We end up separated from God by our own choices. He compares the God of life to the numbness of sin. Right? And what's awesome here, though, is that James doesn't end here. Right? If this was the end of James, and he's like, these are your two options, good luck! We would all be up a creek, right? But that isn't where it ends. No, he starts to provide the solution. He goes on, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, which is not me, right? Getting me to shut up, that's the trick, right? And typically, if I'm listening to someone, half the time I'm already trying to figure out what my response is going to be, right? How am I going to push back? How am I going to challenge their thinking, right? But that's not what it says. It says, no, no, no. I'm supposed to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Again, two lanes. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and, and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Right? Then he goes on, and I love this section of scripture. Do not merely listen to the world and so deceive yourself. No, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You guys ever woken up and you look at yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got mud all over me, right? I have this tendency to sleep in weird positions where like, I'll have like, uh, imprints on my face, right? But essentially what he's saying is, hey guys, when you read scripture, you're going to get a glimpse into yourself. You're going to hear things like you should be uh, slow to speak and realize I'm not always slow to speak. Quick to listen. I don't always want to listen. And it's going to be a mirror into our lives. 
And he says, that mirror has power. And you have a choice when that happens. You could forget what you look like. Or, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will become blessed in what they do. We have an opportunity as Christians to look into the mirror of Scripture, to hear the words of Christ, to hear the words of the apostles, to hear the words of truth, and to use it to understand our lives, our challenges, our brokenness. Then James says, because of the Holy Spirit, because we are connected to the God of life, we don't have to go back to it. We have the opportunity to repent, to turn, to say, you know what, God, there is still some brokenness when I scroll through social media. There is still some brokenness when I'm talking to my mom or my dad or my cousins or my brothers or my kids. There is still some brokenness in the choices I am making. And I want to follow you. I don't want to have to go back to that muck and that sin and that hurt anymore. I want to be connected to life. And I love how he says this. He says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. We don't always think about law like that. We don't think about God's word like that. We think freedom is, I can choose whatever I want. I can hate whoever I want. I can lust after whoever I want. I can give to whoever I want. It's all about me. We think that's freedom. That's not freedom. That's literally killing us. It's being addicted to the things that kill us, that harm us, that don't bring us joy, that don't bring us peace, that don't bring us freedom. It's literally saying, I can choose bondage. That's not freedom, guys. Freedom is saying, I think I want a hamburger tonight, not seafood. Freedom is saying, I want to enjoy life. I want to enjoy peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness. That's where freedom is found. Bondage and death are found in our own brokenness. And James says, as a Christian, you don't have to go back to that anymore. There's a different path. There's a different way forward. And the God of freedom wants to give you that. He wants to give you that life where you can make real choices, where you can make a real difference in your family, in your work, in your home. He wants to start reconnecting a broken world together, reconnecting broken people together, and reconnecting God and people together. And he says, and that happens when you use the word as a reflection into our own lives and have the courage to take that next step. Right? which then ends towards what this whole idea of Christianity is supposed to be about. Because it's not about showing up to church on Sunday mornings, right? It's not about singing songs. It's not about saying, hey, I completed another Bible plan. No. James finishes by saying, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein in their tongues deceive themselves. Their religion is worthless. No, what is God trying to produce? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the things that are going to leave you in bondage, by the things that are going to take away your freedom. He looks and he says, guys, 
We have a God who is trying to defend the defenseless and the powerless. We have a God who says you don't have to go back to slavery anymore. You don't have to go back to bondage anymore. There's something more for us as Christians. And so this month, five chapters in James, five weeks, this is my challenge for you. This is my challenge for myself. Read through the book of James once a week. Do a chapter a day. Or read it all in one setting. It takes about 20, 25 minutes. But when you're reading through it, use it as a lens to look into your own life and say, hey, what was God asking of his people 2,000 years ago? But then take it to that next step and say, what's God asking of me? What's in the mirror that shouldn't be in the mirror that I've got to go and say, God, I need to repent of this? God, I don't want to be alone in this anymore. Or what's in the mirror where God's saying, no, it's not something that's bad, but there's something good I want you to do. I want you to take that next step in loving your neighbor. I want you to take that next step in treating someone differently. But to use James for a month and saying, you know what? If you're a physical trainer, let's do this. Let's take the time. Let's invest in it. Let's let God mold us and shape us with his word to use it as a season that we as a church are able to lean in a little bit. Where we as a church are able to say, you know what? I want that life. I want a couple of those chains that still might be weighing me down to get unhooked. And I want to draw closer to God. But the only way we can do that is if we're honest. Have integrity of like, and there is still some brokenness that's happening. There's still some hurt. There's still some confusion. So we're going to go into a time of reflection. I'm going to invite the band up. They're going to go into a time of worship. And then we're going to go into a time where God says, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do life with my people. Communion. Community union. A sacred moment where we get to connect to God and we get to connect to each other. And then we get to leave knowing we are connected to him who promises that crown of life. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, you are a good God who specializes in working with rebellious kids. Lord, all of us in this room are still struggling in different ways uh, to connect to you. Uh, Still struggling with what we see in the mirror. Lord God, we humbly ask forgiveness for that but we're also bold to ask for your direction, your leadership, and your wisdom, that you don't just leave us in sin, but you want to lead us out. Lord, that you want to give us that life, that connection to the source of light and truth. Lord God, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.